welcome to the Relatively Damaged podcast by Damaged Parents, where tainted, warped, wrong people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough, we aren't capable, we are relatively damaged. And that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me, not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today, we're going to talk with Sam White. He has many roles in his life, brother, son, climber, breaker of stigma, and more. We'll talk about how having cerebral palsy was not his biggest challenge. Instead, his biggest challenge was learning to accept himself throughout life and how he found health and healing. Let's talk. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Welcome, Sam White, to Relatively Damaged. We're so glad you're here today. I'm looking forward to this conversation and thanks for having me. Yeah. Now you have an interesting, I don't want to say interesting. I mean, my words have, have escaped me this morning, but uh, the bottom line is you are the host of Adaptive, the community podcast. And why don't you go ahead and tell yeah. our listeners about your podcast? Because I was on yours and you're on mine and yeah, really fun. For sure. So at Adaptive the Community Podcast, our whole goal is to look at disability and the adaptive community in a different way and have some of those conversations that you may be uncomfortable to have or haven't heard before. So we can truly look at disability at the level of what does it look like in the modern era? Because I feel like sometimes we look at it from 50 years ago or, you know, that's where some of those signs and things like that were designed back in those days. And sometimes if you're not part of that community, you can have a misconception of it. So I started the show to have those conversations. To ask the questions most people might be afraid to ask, I'm thinking. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Because you have cerebral palsy, right? Yep. Okay. I've had cerebral palsy since birth. I was diagnosed very early on. So it's just kind of always been there. Yeah. Now, one of the neat things that I've learned, and I always, I think I always operated from the assumption that you can totally understand me. I don't have to slow down my speech to talk to you. 
It's just maybe there's a, you know, I have friends that have cerebral palsy with more difficulty talking mm-hmm. than, than you. So what is, can you just talk a little, because I'm, I want people to understand. I want listeners to know that you're totally human. Right. Sure. So uh, yeah, I can speak to that. Just like any disability, really, it does have a spectrum and we're kind of all affected in different ways. So for my cerebral palsy or cerebral palsy, you'll hear it pronounced both ways. Um, Cerebral palsy, I believe, is the correct way to pronounce it. I'm basically just my lower extremities. In other words, my legs. You know, I've got some things going on up above that, like fine motor skills. That's very common with all people that have cerebral palsy. We aren't known to have the best fine motor skills, but yeah, no, most of my cerebral palsy is affecting me on the lower extremities. So my legs, I'll have muscle spasms and things like that on the lower half. But then there's the other side of the coin where you'll meet someone and I have met people where they are more affected on the upper extremities or more full body. And like I said before, I have some of that. It does run throughout my whole body, but the most notable is happening for me down below in the lower extremities. I'm not speaking as clearly I feel today. So I'm sorry about that. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely like I said, it's a spectrum. And I think that's important to realize for all disabilities and really all abilities across the board is not everyone's going to be affected in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's something we talked about a little bit previously is, is that what is disability and what does it mean to me in the podcast you have me on? And so I wanted to understand your perspective and that gives me some insight into how your body works. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I thought it was really interesting that you said on your pre-interview worksheet that you're not sure if cerebral palsy is, let's see, but I don't know if those are my biggest struggles being the physical and the cerebral palsy. Explain that perspective for us. Sure. So I'm not sure if I see those as my biggest struggles, because like I said, it's just been there. It's just part of life for me. So for me to say, oh, that's been a big struggle. I've never known it any other way. So I don't have anything to compare it to. So that's kind of why I struggled to answer that with the physical disability that I have. I've definitely, don't get me wrong, I've had struggles and things like that. Kind of 2011, 2012, I had a couple of big surgeries. And now I can look back on those and say, yes, there were some physical challenges there. But moving forward, the biggest kind of thing that makes me question and makes me struggle is the perception of disability in the world. And I've really only come to that conclusion after pondering and thinking about it for years, my entire life, really. I don't have a problem with how I look and how I move now, but I've always struggled with that perception piece and just really what that looks like. And that really was another catalyst to start Adaptive the Community podcast as well to kind of have those conversations. Yeah. Right. And so it sounds like to to me, 
the big concern is not necessarily how you view yourself, but how others have a perception of who you are based on your physical capacity. Absolutely. So at times in my life, I've let it, you know, oh, I don't want someone to look at me and I don't want to be uncomfortable because it's going to make someone else uncomfortable. And now what I say is I'm unapologetically Sam. In other words, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if people want to look at me, if people want to ask me questions, I have no problem answering a question. But kind of back to your question there, I think going back to trying to figure that out, it was definitely a struggle for me throughout high school. And even earlier, I think being a teenager is hard for anyone, right? But kind of navigating that whole idea of, oh, he's different. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like part of what you do is make sure you're going out into the world so that other people can see you. And that was a a conversation I actually recently had with someone because I'm not sure about you. I think it can feel lonely with a disability and so many people around us look different and behave different because they don't have that physical disability for, I think sometimes for me to judge more or me to feel super alone and I stand out. I don't know if if you ever watched Sesame Street, you know, but it's like, which one of these squares is different? (laughs) Yep. No, I did. And it's exactly that. I mean, looking from where I am now, because it really was only a four year, like within the last four years, I've really come to where I am now. And with the, I've got these three words that I use a lot in my life and that's disability doesn't define and kind of adopting those three words three or four years ago really changed my outlook along with many other things in my life when I started to lean into some of that. But definitely that loneliness was definitely there for me like 2017, 2018, really wasn't sure what I was doing that time I was transitioning from high school into kind of college and, you know, what that looks like afterwards. And there was definitely some of that like loneliness because when you're in a school or in something like that, you're forced into a community. And I think sometimes what I found was if I sit in this uncomfortableness because I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me in adult life, I'm not going to make those meaningful relationships, make those friendships, because now I have to take charge and I have to overcome this to really live my fullest life. And I think that's what I had to realize in these last four years. So I think what I hear you saying is that owning your disability changed your perception of the world in some ways in Maybe you don't have to carry it as alone, if you will. Yeah, just like you were saying, I was feeling some of those feelings of loneliness. And that definitely was directly related to kind of the way that I looked at my disability. And so some of the ways I overcome this is I talk. I talk about my disability. Like I said earlier on, I'm unapologetically Sam, you know. I talk disability. I am athletic. I've been fortunate enough to go to 
two national climbing competitions that USA Climbing puts on and place average. And so I don't talk about those things to lift myself up and put myself on a pedestal, but I do talk about those accomplishments and I do talk about what I do in the adaptive community because people just don't realize that I'm not, okay, you'll see him at the grocery store. I'm not just going home and sitting around. I'm out there. I'm doing things. I have a group of friends. I'm just like you. And that's the message that I'm trying to promote and put out there when I do bring up, oh, I've climbed in comps for two years and I've done this, this, and this. It's not to make myself sound so great, but it is to show people I do things. Yeah, it sounds like in some ways it's a message to people with what the world calls normal bodies that, hey, we're just because I have a disability doesn't mean I'm not capable of something. And it's also a message to those of us with disabilities of, well, you may have a disability and you're capable of something. So, I, I mean, I see that message on both sides. Was that your intention? Yeah. And I think that was my unintentional intention, if that makes sense. I think some of it was just what naturally happens when I started to outwardly speak and outwardly feel confident about disability. Now I say disability isn't something that is disabling me. It empowers me. And what disables me is society around me. And that really goes back to the concepts of the medical model of disability and the social model of disability. And if you're not familiar with these, the medical model is basically looking at everything's biological. You're going to have something wrong with you. And there's medical things we can do, but we're not going to completely overcome this. The social model is saying that what's disabling you is not your willingness or your ability to overcome something. It's society around you. And so if the world was more accessible, we would be less disabled. So I've, I love that statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a great one. And I've enjoyed learning about those two models of disability throughout my studies. Yeah, I just really love those words because then we wouldn't be as disabled if it were more welcoming. If the world was more accessible, we wouldn't be as disabled. I just love that in so many ways and on so many levels. Give me a second to process that because I think it's just so true. And I worry too about. You know, the way companies see people with disabilities, the way that disability, like social security disability, the way that's set up and that you have to be so determined, so disabled. And I think there's this idea of if you're that disabled, then how do you get to even be able to be a part of society and give back? And it just, I see a whole mental health struggle. What's your perception on some of that? Sure. I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Sarah. She's been on a number of times on my show and this past week's episode. So April 2nd episode, we talk about that whole idea of what do jobs in HR departments look like right now and how do they approach disability and really what are they missing out on? 
in these approaches that they have. And one of the things we talked about there that I think ties in really well here is these questions they'll ask on forms. They'll pigeonhole you into saying yes or no, when disability really is something that if you're going to ask a question, leave room to write something because it's not a yes or no question. If you give me the space and the time to explain a little bit, you'll see that I can do just as much as Bill over there or Steve, just generic names. But this question that she came across, and I've come across similar ones, was, is your disability going to detrimentally affect your ability to do the job? And that may not, that's not a quote for quote, but it was a yes or no question. And our big conversation there was, if it's a yes or no question, if I put yes or no, how does that affect my chances to be working for you? Because my disability may give me strengths that Steve or Bill may not have. I don't visually see information the same way. So I have a really strong memory, you know, and that's just one example of many ways that disabled people, even though they're disabled. And that's why on my show, I like to use the word part of the adaptive community is I think there's a negative connotation with the word disabled, making us feel less than or making us sound like we can do less than we can actually do. So for employers, for and that goes for any marginalized group, these questions appear. Does that answer your question? I may have gone off on a tangent there. Yeah, I think so. I think that the bottom line is trying to understand how disability is viewed in the workplace. And I appreciate and, and totally understand that because disabled, you know, if I'm just a normal human not thinking about where the word came from, or at least in the United States, if then to me, it would say non-abled. And, and that's not necessarily true. And I'm not really sure what anyone can do about that. And I think there is a certain amount of pride when being disabled that it's like a requirement to have that pride in being disabled because of the journey that what is on. And that's what you've been talking about a little bit, I think, is having pride in that disability. Yeah. Something that you just said there made me think of a funny thing that I just came across in the past week was I was talking to an old friend of mine. I played sports with him at the adaptive community. And he goes, I think as disabled people, we have to be blunt and sometimes more honest than others. And I think that's true. Like, I'm a very nice person, but I'm also known to be very blunt in my emails. I just get right to the point. And I think some of that, like what you just said, was we do have to approach the world showing that pride or that, I like to say, empowered. But it's the same thing. And sometimes we have to be blunt about what we need to overcome the barriers that the world puts in place. Well, yeah, and to have the conversations <laughs> maybe that people are yeah. uncomfortable having. Absolutely, yeah. And as you know, because you were on my show, I send questions and I say, we can change these, but I don't walk around any topic. I just, I dive right in. And if that makes the person uncomfortable, we can talk about it, but I'm probably still going to ask 
a variation of that same question because I think it's important and to overcome some of this. Yeah. And how is anyone going to know that we're human if we behave like we're not? <laughs> right. Like, like you have needs, I have needs. The other thing I was thinking about the other day, and, and this goes back to going out and like you're out climbing, you're participating in life, you're doing things. And I had said how sometimes going out in that crowd can feel lonely. And I had this realization that we might be in different states, or I may have my other friend that's disabled at home. They're not with me, which is fine. And yet we're not doing this alone. So when we go into the community, we might be there alone in that moment, taking on the looks and the this and the that. And yet, if we don't go out, then then we're also not helping ourselves in making the changes that we seek. So how do you remember that you're not alone in that part of, I, I'm going to call it a struggle because I think it, that is part of the struggle. So when we go into the community, we might be there alone in that moment, taking on the looks and the this and the that. And yet, if we don't go out, then then we're also not helping ourselves in making the changes that we seek. So how do you remember that you're not alone in that part of, I'm going to call it a struggle because I think that is part of the struggle. Yeah, it's definitely going back to what I filled out on that pre-questionnaire. It, it's part of that social struggle. It can be for sure. And kind of the ways that I do this is I engage with the adaptive community, the disabled community as a whole. I'm in Facebook groups. That's how we came across each other. I really have a strong community and some friendships in uh, adaptive sports. So in regular times, not so much in 2020 and so far 2021, I have regular climbing nights and I don't just go to the gym. I meet up with anywhere from 15 to 30 at times people that, and we kind of take over the gym and climb in all the different ways we do. You know, there's VI climbers, visually impaired. There's all sorts of disabilities going on there. There's cerebral palsy, of course. So finding people, finding these organizations and the organizations that I use, they are kind of national. So I'll bring them up here because they're great organizations. I've used Adaptive Adventures and Craig Martino is the head of climbing, at least in the Colorado area there. And I met him in a parking lot one day and that's how I started climbing. Super fun story that I'll have to tell probably some other time. And then I use Paradox Sports which is also another adaptive sports. And I know they're also national at certain levels. So they're all climbing though. They don't have many other sports that I know of. So if you're listening and looking to get into a community, look at adaptive sports. It's super fun. They can almost adapt in any way you need. I haven't come across something where they weren't like, oh yeah, let's try this. Super fun. Then there's just Facebook groups like we met on. I think engage, I guess, is the big answer there. (laughs) Right. Okay. So what I'm hearing is engage in the disability community so that you can feel that support. And because I'm thinking in a way, there are things that are different about 
a life with a disability and a life without a disability from my personal experience. Absolutely. And then remember to go into the world and know that that whole group has got your back because if we don't show up in the world, then no one's going to get used to having us and seeing that different doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just means different. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I may have had a really funny experience. I look at bad experiences as funny experiences, just kind of putting that positive spin on them. But the other day, uh, a couple of weeks back now, it was snowing out here in Colorado, like it does quite often. And it was below zero. It was close to 20 below. And the add a button or the ADA button, handicap button, as some people know it as, but I'm trying to not use that term to get it out of there, was frozen. So if you're wondering at what temperature the ADA buttons freeze, it would be 20 below. So that's a problem. That was super fun. And I just banged it until it got unstuck. But no, you know, and that's the other thing is look at those negative things as funny things as, oh, this happened. It sucks when it happens to you. It really does. Was I happy to be stuck outside in 20 below? And then I had to open the door without the button. No, it it did suck. And I'm not telling you that these things don't suck, right? But change your perspective. And you do have that community. Message one of them on Facebook after it happens or post about it on Facebook and engage with that community. I mean, I there I go again. I just repeated myself, but I think that's <laughs> a really big piece of it is engage with the community. Because if there's one thing I've noticed about the adaptive community, the disabled community is everyone is wanting to talk about it if they're engaging with it at some level. I've never come across someone that is in the Facebook group or in the adaptive climbing, adaptive sports community that is like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. If you're there, you probably have a good idea of, okay, everyone here is in the same boat. And sometimes that's just comforting to be in the same room as those individuals not even talking about it sitting with them with each other i guess and right. in the pain because whereas someone who's able to just go walk up and open the door that's something they don't have to think about regularly right, right. And that's something we do have to well at least me with my hands not working right i do have to think about that and I think what's really cool about what you said is you look back at it and you see a little bit of humor. At least you can laugh at it. The other thing I'm seeing is you made it. You banged and you grabbed, it, you know, and you were able to to finally get through. Although it wasn't fun and it totally sucked, you know, because I've been there too, where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I, you know, and I have to either look around. Thank goodness I don't live in 20 below degree weather. Yeah, that's rare, <laughs> but it did happen. I would not be happy there. So I think in some ways it's the mindset of, well, looking back, yes, that totally sucked. Not invalidating those feelings. Yes, you were probably angry. Yes, you were probably frustrated and you made it through somehow. Right. I think that is a huge point too, is going back to the whole idea of what people think 
employers think of disability hiring disabled individuals, we are, I think, really good at solving problems. Not because we're just inherently good at it, but we've had to do it our entire lives because the ADA isn't quite implemented like it should be, in my opinion, or it's not recognized. It's implemented. It's not recognized fully. So we've had to adapt. There may be some extra things, but we're really good at solving problems. Yeah. I love that perspective (laughs) because I think it's, it's, you know, I was reading actually a book on humor and people aren't born inherently funny. They have to practice. And I think the same thing with solving problems, people aren't born necessarily with problem solving skills. They've been put in situations where they have to problem solve. And because of that, they can look at the world in a different fashion than someone who hasn't had to problem solve as often. So that being said, I'm Thinking it's rock climbing that you're talking about, like the wall climbing. So you're going to the facilities and and climbing and. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Okay. And do you get to, I'm thinking you also do that outside and with friends. I'm thinking it might be really hard to get to the, some of the places where climbing is an option. Some of the places it is really hard. So I haven't gone outside much because what I compete in is a gym base. So I've focused a lot of time on there, but I am in the perfect spot to jump out and just hop on some of those routes. But that can be a challenge and it just like hiking. So in Colorado, hiking is a huge thing. I think it's a huge sport throughout the United States if you've got the train to do it. But here it's huge. And even hiking with my family every once in a while, don't love it, but I do it sometimes. And finding accessible paths there. And so like, I know that finding accessible routes to climb outside can be challenging too. And that's frustrating, unfortunately, as I think everyone should have access to the great outdoors. Yeah, for sure. You believe you were meant to have the struggles that you have. Tell us how you came to that or when you came to that realization. Absolutely. So I grew up in a family. My mother worked in a church as a children's ministry director and many other things before that. And so I do believe that I was meant to be disabled and I'm here for a reason. And I do find strength in the Lord. So I think that is another place I do find strength. And I've struggled with it at that whole level too. That's a whole nother conversation. But I'm kind of at the realization right now that I'm meant to be disabled, but how can I impact? How can I love those around me? How can I do what I'm supposed to do while I'm here on earth, as dark as that may seem, a disabled individual. And I think that's really helped me make some decisions in my life, like transitioning from a graphic design degree into this special education degree that I'm finishing up now, just finding the power in it, because I'm not alone in the friends I make here and through faith as well. I do put great value in that. So I think that's somewhere where that comes from. Yeah, I think it's also 
one of those things we're also all very similar on is trying to figure out where we fit in and how, what that looks like and whether or not we find faith or not. And, and for me also, it helps to look at the world as I'm here for a purpose and a reason. And if that's the case, then it really empowers me to figure out what that purpose is. So I also try to stay with that perspective of that I'm, I'm here for a reason. Okay. So you're getting into special education and (laughs) what is your favorite thing about that so far? What have you learned so far from that? Sure. So fortunately, and there I go looking at it as a positive again, I was part of special education early on. I think I had my first IEP in first grade, probably. I mean, it was right away. And the experiences I've been able to have through that. And I feel like I should go back real quick. IEP is Individualized Education Plan. For those that may not know what that term, (laughs) acronyms I know can be challenging if you don't know what that is. So it's Individualized Education Plan. So I had my first IEP around first grade and had to go through those experiences. But I'm also a military kid. My father is in the Air Force. And so not only am I having to go through some of these learning challenges and struggles throughout school, but I'm having to transition schools a few times. And fun fact, not all schools and not even all districts within the same state write an IEP the same way. So a district will write an IEP one way, then you'll go to your next district and they'll write an IEP in a different format. And then you'll go across the country and they'll write an IEP in a different format, all within the same parameters, of course, but there's no national standard for, okay, this is how you write an IEP. All IEPs have one thing in them, you know, similar things in them. So some of that was just stacked on top of my learning challenges that I had throughout school. And really that's the beginning of this whole thing that we've been talking about today is I figured out that I needed to take control of my learning and what that really meant. And then looking forward, I was in a graphic design program, I think, as I said a little bit earlier, and I'm like, I'm doing just fine here in this and I'm almost done with it. I was three credits away from finishing that degree. And then I was like, okay, I, think I need to do something more. I was passing my old high school, coming back from one of those climbing nights I mentioned, and I turned and I was like, what if I taught? don't want to teach at that school, but that's a whole nother story. And that kind of started this whole idea of special education and really what it means to be disabled and kind of the whole thing. That was a catalyst for the whole thing. So I haven't learned I mean, I've learned more detailed things. Going back to your question, I've learned the details behind and kind of pulled back some of the curtain. But some of my most valuable lessons I've learned, I think, are those lessons I learned when overcoming my own learning challenges. So what I heard you say was, number one, IEPs are different across districts. I mean, you can move districts. And then the other thing is, as a student, you had to learn to overcome those challenges. And 
I'm thinking that there was maybe a teacher or someone along the way that that you felt believed in you so that then you were motivated. Am I picking up on that right? Absolutely. So now he's a good friend of mine, but he was my case manager in high school. So I was fortunate enough to be from ninth grade to my senior year in the same school. And I mean, that started back when I was in seventh grade. I was able to stay within this district until I finished school. So that was great. And some of those challenges of, okay, now these people have to figure out a whole nother way to help Sam. So by the time I got to high school, I was still figuring a lot of this out in the first two years. Then it really started to sink in those last two years. And I was switched to my, I'm just going to call him Cameron. I was switched to Cameron's caseload. And he really looked at my learning disability, my learning challenges in a completely different way than anyone else had before. I don't test as VI. In other words, if I am tested for visually impaired or VI, I would pass. But the way that my eyes and my brain process information, they don't talk to each other the right way. So I can't actually read information. So the ways that I take in information are very similar to someone that would be visually impaired. So one of the greatest things that happened there is they brought in this specialist and she said, you don't pass and I shouldn't be working with you but screw the district. I'm going to continue to work with you because you need someone to approach things with you in this way. So those two people, Cameron, and then this vision specialist teacher really empowered my transition to take over my learning. And I'm not sure they really realize how much of an impact they had on my life. I've talked to Cameron when I decided to make this transition. The first person I texted and said, hey, we need to grab breakfast. I'm going to be a special ed teacher. He was the first person I talked to, but I'm not sure if he knows really the impact that he had on my life. And that's kind of, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's it's someone in your life. And I think everyone needs that regardless of capacity, someone that believes in them. And I think when you have someone that believes in you, that then you're able to overcome whatever challenges you are going to have, because we all have challenges, every single, yeah, every single one of us. And I think it's interesting that in some ways, like society is a whole I'm not certain that as a whole society gets it. I think people get it, that they know they go through individual struggles, but remembering that someone else goes through a struggle is also another challenge that has to be overcome. So are there any specific episodes that you think might help my listeners to to go and hear on Adaptive, the community? Sure. So I mentioned earlier in this episode, I've spoken to my friend Sarah quite a few times, another individual that's part of the adaptive community. And we were meant to speak for an hour and 15 minutes. That's what I schedule out for my interviews. As I'm sure you remember, we normally talk for about 30 minutes. That's normally what my audience hears. We ended up talking for five hours, not even realizing it. Recording, not recording, recording again. So I made a three-part series with 
Sarah. And all three of those episodes are really good. The first episode is called Skiing into Education. She's also going to be a teacher. She's going to be a gen ed teacher versus a special education teacher. She'll be gen ed. Then the next episode in that series is called uh, Speak to the Disabled Person! Exclamation point. This is a quote that came up in our conversation. The third and final episode just came out on April 2nd, 2021. And that's called the phrase, handy capable makes me want to throw up. It's another quote that came up when we were having our conversation. And I think all three of those kind of part of that larger conversation, they're just really good, kind of aligned with some of this stuff that we've talked about today. It's fantastic. Of course, I highly recommend go listen to Adaptive, the community, listen to the to the episodes that Sam just told us about. They're important and educational. It really is a great podcast. So we've got the three episodes. If someone's listening to the podcast, what do you have maybe three things besides listen to your podcast <laughs> that, that they could do in their day-to-day life whether viewed as someone with a disability or not, because like we talked about, we're all human. Sure. I think I've said it a couple of times here. Disability doesn't define. Don't just stare. Don't just look. Go up and ask. And if they don't want to have a conversation or they can't have a conversation, don't be offended, but ask them. Don't be afraid to come up and talk to us. Don't be afraid to hire one of us. I think that's really important. And I guess third and final is something that you said as we had the conversation on my show. Everyone gets disabled at some point in some way or another. You know, arthritis, old age, just as a big one. I just got to see my grandparents after a while and we're all vaccinated and all that good stuff. But They're getting older and they're using some of these adaptive pieces, you know, a walker or something like that. So we're not really that odd. As I like to say, we may just be ahead of the curve, but yeah, no, you know, you're going to end up using some mobility device in some point of your life. So don't be uncomfortable with it. Don't be scared of it. Come talk to us. I think is the big thing. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm so glad I got to have you on the show. And I'm so glad to know that we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Sam about how he has learned self-acceptance throughout life. We especially liked when he said that the disability itself is not what disables him. It's the society around him. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Facebook. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.